Jesus said we must be about our Father's business. And he also said to occupy till he comes. So there's a lot of life we just have to live, but there's something very important in that life while we're living that we should be focusing on. And that's doing the Lord's will. Amen. God bless you this morning. I'm going to do it a little bit different. Let you be seated today. In the name of the Lord. I would like to begin by telling you something that you already are very aware of. And that is that this world, as a rule, is full of people that live every day very demoralized. They are very disheartened. They're very dejected. They're very cast down. That is not a disease, an emotional disease that is simply attached to the wino or to the addict. It's in the house of God. It's in families that are sincere. It's in preachers. It is in society anywhere. People are looking for a reason to be encouraged. And life is a very heavy burden very often. I want to say that last part again because you may not have heard it. Life very often is a very heavy burden to bear. When he said, occupy till I come, you won't have this. But that's Luke 19, 13 for people that like to check it out. He, he wasn't saying just enjoy the, the terrific ride. He was saying get along day by day. Do your best. Survive the highs and the lows. Sometimes I go so high with the highs that I'm tricked when I get down into the lows. My goal has been for decades to learn better to manage not just the lows, but the highs of my life. Last Monday was a typical Monday for me, Brother Larry. I woke up and I was just on cloud nine. I don't know why, I just felt like inside of me, I was, I had, I don't know, adrenaline to spare inside. I was just busy and happy and enjoying things. And I kept, not kept, but twice during that morning, Monday morning, I kept thinking, I did think about, uh, this won't last, not to be negative, but I'm just trying to temper my enthusiasm, because if you see me when I'm all giddy and full of zeal, you think, whoa, wow, I'd like to see that version of him more often, and if you see, if you come on knocking on the door Tuesday morning, and I'm like, mm -hmm. you're going to be disappointed, managing the highs and lows is all I'm trying to say. That this world, as a rule, is full of people that are very demoralized. They're looking for any vein of hope they can turn to and find and use. Proverbs 13, 12. Solomon said that hope deferred makes the heart sick. I got it, brother. You're right. Thank you. Appreciate you thinking about that. Hope deferred, put off, makes the heart sick. That's King James. Message translation says, unrelenting disappointment, life, leaves your heart sick. But I love how he finishes it. But a sudden good break can turn life around. That is so true, isn't it? An unexpected sudden good break. I enjoy those. It's funny to me, though, that if you read 
your Old Testament, in particular 1 Samuel 22 and verse 2, it said everyone, not 99% or 50%, everyone that came to David had problems. They were disheartened. They were cast down. They were depressed. And the King James, King James put it, they were either in debt. What a depressing thing debt is, isn't it? I've got more of my share and had my share. I remember years ago, oh, I just got to stay focused today. <sighs> years ago, we first got married. We got a Sears credit card. I was jacked up about that, man. Sears used to be fun to walk through. They had sporting goods. They had guns. They had a they had a little hot, uh, like like a little hot heated lamp bar where you could get fudge and peanuts. Anybody remember the Sears on Northern Lights? It was like that. Sears used to be fun. I got that credit card. It didn't take me very long to max that joker out, let me tell you. And at the interest rate you're paying, if you pay the minimum payment, you never get that thing paid off. But I remember way down the road, we paid that thing off. And you would think I'd be smart enough to have learned after going through all of that suffering. God had paid for none of this 35 percent interest or 32, whatever it was. But you know what I did? I even tore that first card up. But I went back and got another one. And the debt limit or limitation was higher. And I, yeah. I'd like to tell you that I practice common sense and self-control, but I'd be lying to you. Right back to the top. Everybody came to David was broke in debt. Or they were distressed. Or they were discontented. Didn't say he had one person in that group that came to him that was just optimistic Oliver. That's the world we live in today. It's just full of dejection and reason to get yourself down. Demoralized. I really believe that people are dying inside everywhere. All because of a lack of encouragement. They just can't even get their head out of the water, much less above the water. I'm not here to glorify the, the roughness of life, but we're going to talk about some better things here. But I'm going to read now my text to you from Judges chapter 16. You don't have to stand. We've, we've already been up and down a lot. Judges chapter 16. And she said unto him, this she is Delilah. And she said to him, the him is Samson. How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? Good question. You have mocked me these three times and not told me wherein your great strength lieth. And it came to pass, that little phrase appears 564 times in the King James Version. Preached it many time, many, uh, several times many years ago. That nothing's finished as long as it's going to come to pass, right? 
But it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words. She urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. He was sick of listening to her. That he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite, not a Nazarene, a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I'm shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Did you catch that? No matter how religious, Samson said, if you take away my devotion, I'll be weak like any other man. If you take what is sentimental and devoted away that's between you and God, that, that place of deep, sincere, heartfelt emotion, if we take that away from you, you're weak like every other man. That's what gives you strength is your devotion to God. That's what gives you power is your commitment to God. And verse 18, please. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called. What a snake, right? She sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up at once. I know now what his secret is. He showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up, on, came up unto her and brought money in their hand. I've got to get through the text here. We're going to be all day before I keep commenting. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man. She caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep, and he said, I'm going to go out like I did yesterday and the day before, shake myself. But the Bible said he didn't even know that the Lord had departed from him. We talked last week in one of the messages about how lonely a, a time can be when, when you don't feel God in your life. You're praying and doing the same thing you've always done, but you just don't feel the results coming back that you used to feel. That's a lonely, lonely place to be. Samson was there. Only it wasn't just a moment where God was saying, dig deeper. Samson had cut the fellowship line. Philistines took him, put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. One more verse. How be it the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. My title today is Everybody Makes Mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. You might have your own list that's contrary to mine, but in the top five stories, or this is in the top five stories where the mercy of God is exhibited in all of the Bible. It's one of the top five, at least to me, where the greatness of God's compassion stands up to, to bat in the place of a man with a calling on his life. How can anybody say there's any greater display of mercy than Calvary first, right? Then, then God put on human flesh, came down and subjected himself to the human inconsistencies of it all and gave his human life, his earthly life. 
No greater display of mercy than that. To me at least, there is probably on that list somewhere the story of Abraham when God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, what a world we're living in today. You can't even talk about it lest you're ridiculed as intolerant. But God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is. And he's, he's the Lord that changes not, Malachi 3, 6. God despised this form of darkness he loves people. He loves fallen mankind. That's why he went to Calvary. But he was willing to rid the earth of its influence and testimony. And what was an abomination to God then is an abomination to God today. I love everybody. Don't, don't run out of here angry. I love everybody. Everybody needs Jesus in their life. Everybody needs mercy in their life. Everybody needs Calvary in their life. But after Calvary and Abraham, and, and the, if there's 50 left, God, will you spare the city? God said, I'll do it. And he works all the way down to 10. If there's 10 left, God, will you spare these many hundreds of thousands? God said, I'll spare them if I can just find 10. That's Genesis 18. Somewhere in your story, compilation of the mercy of God being exhibited, surely you'd put John chapter 8 when Jesus knelt down in, on the ground and with his finger wrote in the dirt on the ground and those, those religious men were trying to condemn that adulterous woman and Jesus wrote something and he said, I'll tell you what, you can have the party, but let's, let's he that's without sin go ahead and throw the first stone. And the Bible said, beginning at the eldest, down to the least, they decided they had some grocery shopping to do. They better go check on their aunt and uncle. They forgot something was in the oven at home. They better get out of here and take care of that. Funny what conviction does to people. You have to talk about the mercy of God, because then Jesus turned to her and said, where are those your accusers? She said, I have none, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. But I'm going to place right here. I'm going to place right here this story that we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. At least number four in my list of the top five is the story of Samson. You think about Samson, you usually think of this first. I do. What a failure. Samson was one of 15 judges. He was a very special person. He was hand-selected by God. What a failure, I think, when I just skim over the story. If you list the Bible's success stories, I'm pretty sure you're not going to put Samson and Delilah on there. I make a list of massive biblical blunders. Oh, uh, yeah, he's going to be on there. And I've told you this before, but even to this day, thousands of years later, the story of Samson 
is either a witness to us about the mercy of God or a warning to us about the judgment of God. Whatever, whatever we want it to be. But everybody makes mistakes. Your precious children make mistakes. Your precious parents make mistakes. Your precious spouse makes mistakes. Your, your best friend makes mistakes. Your pastor makes mistakes. You make mistakes. But when I was a child, when I was a child growing up on Lazy Mountain, Brother Larry, I remember an event that went on in our family. I won't bore you with it. But out of this event that went on, we weren't even going to church. My dad taught me a story from the book of Judges, chapter 16. He just got the Bible out and he carried me. I, I was whatever. We moved, I was like eight when we moved to Lazy Mountain, 12, 13 when we moved off. So I was, I was a little guy. And I was enamored. I was absolutely dazzled at the story of this man. In my mind's eye, I could see this, this chiseled human of a man's man, this specimen of might and brawn. Funny thing about it, Brother Marshall, even at that little age, I never thought I could ever be what Samson was in my positive image of him. Hear me, is that my phone? It's off, I promise. I, I never saw me in that. I could honestly, through the years, thinking back about my dad teaching me that Bible study, oh, I could really see myself in his mistakes, though. I never could see myself doing something great like pulling, you know, a set of gates off the city front that weighed probably close to a thousand pounds, commentators say, and carried them to the top of the hill. Nah. Making a bad decision, though? Making a choice to disappoint you? Then I noticed one day, years, years later, in Judges 16, 6, Delilah said, tell me, where does your great strength come from? Boom. Not a, oh, whoever's phone this is, that's whose it is. Someone listening on that phone, maybe? Oh, well. I could see this muscle-bound specimen of a man that everybody would just look at and be in the same reverential closet that I was in. But if that's the case, and it wasn't, why would she ask him for the secret of his strength? If he looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger at his prime, why would she ask him what's the secret? There's no secret, dude. So I submit to you today, I believe, and I could support it if we took time just to go from there, and I won't, that he looked like everyday, run-of-the-mill, 
Common Ron, Common Stacy, Common Rob, Common Anthony, Common anyone. God doesn't look for people that are have certain earthly images in their life for him to hand select out of the group. God picks normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill, average-looking men and women to do great efforts, do great things for the kingdom of God. But where does our strength come from, Samson? Where does yours come from? Where do you get strength to put up with all the stuff the world throws your way every day? What, what brings you back to church night after night, day after day? It isn't the world. It may be the result of all of that. It's a hiding place like Proverbs 18.10 that we run into. But what brings you back? What strengthens you to make up your mind? I'm going to church today. Forgive me for being so, uh, I don't know, living in, in past memories today. I don't know why I'm being this way. But years ago, Palmer Pentecostal Church had two services on Sunday. Years ago. We had a morning service. And we actually had, we had Sunday morning adult Sunday school. Sunday morning adult worship, like we're calling this. And we had an evening service. And let me tell you, good thing I was young. And my good friend in Anchorage talked to me about the, the process. You, you may not agree or understand, and I'm, I'm not going to go there. The process of eliminating a little extra to preserve the preacher. And when I announced we were going to one service on Sunday, I will never forget my youngest son. Just so disappointed. So heartbroken. How can you do that? How do you, how do you just take one service away? Now, if you would have asked me that, I'd have said, mind your own business, and I'm doing it. Because I'm trying to preserve me. Oh, preaching, all you do is talk. Oh, you come, you be up here next Sunday, all right? You be up here next Sunday if you believe that. And you have my phone all week. Oh, yo, no, you won't want this. And that's been so many years ago. I can still see the disappointment on his face. It, his friends were here and his loved ones were here and he was involved in music, etc. And uh, I just had to override my emotions, praise the Lord. Anyway, where does your strength come, come from? I love this scripture. If you want to know what one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is, and you didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you. One of my favorite, not my favorite, but one of my favorite chapters is Job, the 23rd chapter. And verse 6, Job is thinking about this conversation these three friends of his are having with him. And they're talking about it. They're condemning him. They're, it's all you. It's your fault. It's, you're, you're the reason we're in this predicament. It's your, re, your fault, the reason we're in this boat. And they're telling him even God doesn't love you or even God doesn't agree with you and even God doesn't. So here he has this moment of self-reflection. And Job says, will he, meaning God, will God argue against me with his great power? So he's got away from their vocal influence and he's having a moment of finding himself. And he says, will God fight me with his own power like they're saying? And just some sanity comes to Job and he says, no, not the God I know. He will put strength in me. Yeah. 
God will put strength in you. People that think about giving up, you need, you need to just hold on a little longer. Because about the time you want to give up, he's going to come through with strength to you. And the psalmist said in Psalm 28:7 that the Lord is my strength. And Paul said in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, God didn't give us the spirit of fear, but of power. You may not feel very powerful, but the Bible never lies. You have the spirit of power. You can not only get through what you're dealing with, but you're going to get over what you're dealing with. You not only are going to get around this, you're going to overcome this. Because you have a spirit of power about you. You may have a partner that browbeats you and puts you down. But God gave you a spirit of power in your life. Hallelujah. Here's some really good advice that you already know. It would be well of us, speak well of us to lean more on the Lord every day than we do on trying to fix everything ourselves, trying to solve everything ourselves, trying to cure everything ourselves, trying to get them to believe like me or me to believe like them. Just lean on the Lord. He's the source of your strength today. He's always the source of your strength. And Isaiah said, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That's all we need today. We don't need to be remade, reshaped, refashioned. We just need our strength renewed today. And God can do it just like that. They shall mine up with wings as eagles. Run and not be weary. Hallelujah. Where's your strength, Samson? wonder why she didn't just automatically know. It's got to be from something or someone else. It doesn't come from education, and that's a good thing. Money, and that can be a good thing, can be. Or profession, and I'm glad you have one. But the strength that gets you out from under that dark cloud is none of those. You know what? Everyone makes mistakes. Think about this with me, you Bible lovers. No one else in all of the scriptures, no one is gifted with Samson's unique gifting. Nobody. Not David, not Moses, not Paul. No one had the gifting that Samson did. The only thing even remotely near the way God empowered him and used him for the cause of his people is 1 Kings 18, 46, where it said, Elijah, under the hand or the influence of God, took off from the top of Mount Carmel and outran the chariots of Ahab, Powered by horses, real horsepower. 
to the entrance of Jezreel. There's no other circumstance, no other incident. The only thing I can get out of that, here goes my negative side, sorry, not sorry. The only thing I could just immediately pull from that is that why does a man with unique gifting, so simple to figure out, she didn't know where his strength came from in special moments, as the Bible said, Spirit of God came upon Samson and moved him at times. But what about the in-between those times? That's what she was picking at. That's what she was trying to seduce. That's what she was trying to gnaw away at. The in-between moments. What you're common today, but you're extraordinary yesterday. With such a special gifting that nobody else can duplicate. Life still wore him out. Think about this. Strongest man that ever lived, as far as we know, Samson. I, I don't. I mean, biblical men. Wisest man we ever knew, Solomon, or uh, was ever recorded, Solomon. And both of them in their unique giftings, still fell. Oh, I'm gifted, Pastor. Well, you better guard yourself. I'm gifted, Preacher. You better guard yourself. I told you, Samson, the story's either a warning or a, a witness to us. I'm, I'm gifted. I'm good. I, I, can go, I can go a month without reading my Bible. Oh, yeah? You've already... Think about it. What a, what a unique blessing this man possessed. That when God needed him to really do something with human hands, a touch, an unction, a prompting, and boom, Samson became this man with unique talent. But life just doesn't go away. There's Tuesday afternoon, there's Friday morning, there's the argument with the boss, there's the money that you thought was there and it's not, there's the depression, there's the disheartenment and disheartened condition, there's all your hopes stolen away from you, and then you look at your watch and realize, whoo, there's church tomorrow morning. It is the job of our collective enemy, Lucifer, Satan, the evil one, the devil. It is his job, Daniel 7.25, to wear out. Wear out. Wear down. And when people are wore down, it's tough to get them up. It's tough to get them up. I mean, it's tough to get them up when they're just worn down. And his job 24-7 is to wear us out. 
And this storyline goes through your Bible, and it bleeds over into our own life. But unfortunately, a lot of people that are biblically intelligent and uh, street smart, I could put it that way as well, they've defined this man by one flaw in his character. There's so much to Samson's story, but I cannot get over the one incident. You might think praying men should know better, and I'd have to say, you're right. But that same world that wears you down is wearing down preachers and pastors. And Listen to what Josephus said. Josephus was a Roman historian who wrote and recorded news in the day following the life of Jesus. Josephus, who is, most theologians say, is second to none in his on-spotness of Jewish history. A Roman who's more doctrinally correct Politically, not politically correct, but informationally correct. That's what I'm looking for. About Jewish history in the times of Jesus' days following. Josephus said this. That Samson deserves to be admired for his courage and not admonished or warned for the lack of his strength. He goes on to say, Samson made his share of blunders. But in judging Israel, he's writing this now. The greatest historian the Jewish nation has ever possessed, owned, or looked to for records. Josephus said, but in judging Israel, Samson was a man of extraordinary virtue, unquote. What's he seeing? I'm not seeing. Sometimes people can read Judges 16 and just get over it like that. Then there's people who are religious. Sometimes we, we always want to make them go back. But you remember. I'll never forget. You're, you, you're over it now. But I'll never forget that night you. And concerning Samson. If all we can think about is Delilah. You know what we're doing? We're branding him. We're branding him by one Colossal failure, a big mistake, a, a huge boo-boo. You don't brush over it. But every human being makes mistakes. And every human being, if they come to their right mind, they're looking for someone to help them to find a place of encouragement. I, I'm not saying... If you, are if you are habitually practicing a willing, dark sin, that we just brush over it. But I'm talking about people that just make mistakes. Just fall. Make a big mistake. We are nowhere in life allowed to brand Samson or anybody else, but I do. So if I'm allowed, Brother Mallory, to brand this man a failure, he let an entire nation down. 
He just didn't let the church down. He let mama on the street corner down. Unknown family members across the countryside down. He let the entire, he let the very witness of Israel down before all the countries of the world. And if I'm allowed to just hang my hat there for eternity, then I want you to tell me who made the decision. I want you that believe that to tell me who came along and interrupted all the theological powers that be and made the decision to put his name in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Who made that decision? You know what you don't find in Hebrews 11? Well, first of all, let me back up. Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame for faith workers, right? You know who you don't find mentioned in Hebrews 11? Daniel. Elijah. Ruth. Jonah. theologians, you, you notice this, and so I'm going to cover myself here. There, the word it, prophets is in Hebrews 11, so all of that blankets that. But they're still not mentioned by name. What came into the head of the writer? And she said, what shall I more say? I don't even have enough time to talk about Gideon, Barak, and Because everybody makes mistakes. So let me just be pastor for a moment. Judges 16, 17. Says Samson finally told her all of his heart. Be careful who you give your heart to. Now I, I personally believe. I, I know the scripture says. She egged him on. She nagged at him. She tugged at him. And it all worked towards his confession. I understand what prompted it. But the reason, the reason that she uncovered his secret, the reason she conquered this man of God that was, was unique in his gifting was not only the nagging, the seduction, even the haircut. Don't, don't let me. If I get sidetracked on this, which I'm prone to do, bring me back to even the haircut, okay? But a Nazarite vow is found in number six. It was a temporary thing, usually one week long. Normally, most of the time when a Nazarite vow was voluntarily accepted. If DJ wanted to, it was called a holy unto the Lord time. It was a vow, the Nazarite vow, not Nazarene, not Nazareth, but it was a separation time where you would be with God. You were not allowed to do a couple of things. You weren't allowed to touch any dead corpse. Roadkill is off the limit, bro. Not if you're under that vow. You couldn't drink any, any form, anything. Liquor, wine, spoiled grapes, nothing. I still believe that today. Wow. 
But I'm talking about this vow. And you couldn't cut your hair. Now, before religious circles go crazy on me, these vows were temporary, short-lived. It was a time when everything that had to do with my personal appearance had to be put on the back shelf. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so in the Bible, there were only three people, all men, that had on them a lifelong Nazarite vow. I've had people in the religious circles, really have had people tell me, oh, I'm a Nazarite today, Pastor Herring. Um, I'll talk to you about that if you want. But I, I don't, I think you're stepping on sacred grounds you don't want to be stepping on. Only Samuel, John the Baptist, and Samson were Nazarite vow under from the time of their birth. So, with that being said, Samson, all this pressure, all this worldly pressure on him. I might write that he was a quizzling, a traitor, sold out. But somebody had the foresight and the thought spirituality about themselves to put him in the greatest chapter of the New Testament probably concerning the faith of the believer. But it wasn't necessarily the nagging, the cutting of the hair, the seduction, but it was the fact that he opened up and said, I'm pulling every barrier away from who I am and showing you everything. You can come to my house anytime you want. I'm on record to say it. You hear me? You don't have to call me like one preacher said, call me first. I'm like, what are you hiding? Preacher. He was a preacher. I respect your privacy, but you don't have to call me. You're not going to see crazy stuff there. I promise you that. I promise you that. You're going to be bored to tears. You see that. But everybody still has that internal side of themselves, a, a place we protect. I don't want you to see me when I'm whining. I don't want you to see me when I'm angry. There's some parts of my heart I don't want to show you. Well, I am what I am. I just buy everything. Well, sooner or later, you're going to figure out wisdom really works. And even a fool, the Bible said, is considered wise when he guards his words. Solomon said. Anyway, he also said this in Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Everyday stuff that we're going through, that's just working on my heart. Not my blood pump, but the, the seed of emotion in me. It's working on me, pounding me down, and grinding on me. Be careful not to give your heart out. 
Some people will misuse your sincerity. It's true. I love this in the message translation. Proverbs chapter 4. I'm going to read all the way down through 27. Keep vigilant, keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Don't talk out of... Mm, that's where life starts. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Hey, hey, hey. Avoid careless banter, I should say. Ephesians 5.12 would be a good commentary for that. Avoid careless banter, white lies, hello, and gossip. Oh, I wish it was Wednesday night. Let's go ahead. 24, please, sister. Keep your eyes straight ahead. That's what I was doing, right there looking at that projector screen. <laughs> Keep your eyes straight ahead. Ignore all sideshow distractions. <laughs> I need that on the back of my door in there. Watch your step, and the, I love this, and the road will stretch out smooth before you. Look neither to the right nor left. Leave evil in the dust. Somebody say hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Is there more? Is there more? Guard your heart. Don't put a price on it. I, I, there are just some areas I'm not letting anybody go. Not him. Mm -mm. I'm not hiding nothing. But I'm just saying, there's, there's some really personal, intimate stuff there. But then I saw Judges 16.22, many years later also. Again, this has such deep personal connections to my life. I can't even put in words how my heart feels about this scripture. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Let me ask you this, theologically minded people. Why is that verse in the Bible? Don't you think we would automatically assume that short of someone with a, 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 a disease or an issue, when they shave their head, the hair starts to grow again. Why would we need to be told that? Why do we have to be told that when this man messed up, gave her his heart, she, like you would expect, jumped in like the evil devil will do, spoiled the contents of his heart? Why are you telling the reader that his hair began to grow. It seems like the natural assumption. Is it relevant? Information matter? It must. Moffat's translation, I looked to see if we had it this morning. We don't. You can check it later if you'd like. It's a very old, reliable translation. Moffat's translation of Judges 16.22 says, and I quote, but no sooner had his head been shaved that his hair began to grow again. Boom. God began Samson's restoration the moment 
the moment he fell. You may not like what I'm, where I'm going to go with this. But before Samson even acknowledged his error, before he even confessed his sin, God began the process of restoration. That ought to mean something to somebody. That ought to mean something to somebody. Before I even fell on my face, embarrassed, ashamed, insulted, inside, God, forgive me before I even got there. God was working. Oh, what kind of God do we serve today, huh? He's working even though, even though, even though, even though, even though. I may be still trying to make up my mind. I don't know if I want to live this holy way or not. Maybe I've fallen and my mind's full of darkness and confusion. But even though I'm there, God's already beginning the process to put me back in the place of heavenly fellowship. Oh, my goodness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, 1 John 1, 9. But before Samson even got there, Pastor Herring, that's not scriptural. Can you give me another witness? Oh, I'm glad you asked me for that. Isaiah 65, 24. Before they even seek me, before they even ask me about it, before they even call on me, I'm going to answer. That's the kind of God we serve today. Yeah, he lost his sight. But he was not long in losing that anointing. You may not feel this, but I know this. Your restoration has already begun. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, behold. All things are become new. Now, you remember I said that I had a list of the top five, and I mentioned Calvary, and I mentioned Abraham, and Sodom and Gomorrah, and I mentioned the adulterous woman, mentioned the adulterous woman in John 8, and then Samson is number four. The fifth one on that list is you and I. There's no greater demonstration of the mercy of God than the person sitting next to you. Peter said, he called, Peter said he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Everybody's got a testimony. You may not ever preach, but you have a testimony. You may not ever teach a Bible study, but you have a testimony. You may not ever teach a Sunday school class, but you've got a testimony. Somebody on your job, in your family... Among your friends needs to know what, what is so special about your life now with the Lord. Calvary special. Abraham special. Oh, yeah. Work through that line up. The adulterous woman in Samson, and there you and I are standing. Paul put it this way. In 1 Corinthians 6.11, he said, and such were some of you. But you are washed, 
justified. All, all of that restoration process began. Not even when you repented, but when you felt that tugging in your heart. And God was leading you to an altar of repentance. I said, everybody makes mistakes, but God. And with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's never over till it's over. He, he is that kinsman redeemer that welcomes the uninvited into his company. He is that man that looks at people that are outcast and under pressure and in distress and in debt and discontented and rejected by their family and, and thrown aside by society. He looks at them and he just brings them into the throne room just like they belong. Mm. So I don't know who's listening to me today or who's not, but I urge you, I ask you, never, ever ever quit. Never, ever, ever give that place of your heart away. That's the only thing sometimes that keeps you going in the fog and in the storm. Don't give it away. When people try to talk me into how much I could be doing away from here, they don't talk anymore, but they did. They used to. Now, I'm not letting you go there. I don't care what your reasons are. I don't care how much money you offer. I don't care how, what kind of place in society you promise me. I'm not, you ain't getting in that spot of my heart. God and God's house and the word of God mean more to me. That's what's in that last place of my heart. And victory started the moment. You fell. What a beautiful thing. What a precious thing. Because everybody makes mistakes. Precious Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your spirit, God. For your helping hand. For your loving kindness. For your mercy that endures forever. We thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. And that your faithfulness is great. Hallelujah. And I thank you, Lord, that with you there's always another chance. I thank you, Lord, that with you we don't have to throw in the towel. We don't have to give up. There's always hope because restoration has already began. Precious name of Jesus. I wonder if you in your own personal way would just begin to thank him for that. You know why you haven't been discarded by now? Because you've kept your heart. You've kept that holy place in your innermost being as a place that only belongs to Jesus. Only Jesus can go there. I'm not giving up. I'm not throwing it away. 
not walking off and leaving it. I'm going to cling hard and hold hard to the altar. Precious Lord. Precious Lord. Precious Lord.